0: Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. You're here with your host, Auntie Vice, and today we have a sci-fi writer on this show. I actually reached out. For those of you who listen regularly, you know I'm a big fan of authors, especially those in the horror and sci-fi genres, because they get to explore so many cool ideas with new rules in the universes they can create. Uh, Bindia Schaefer is here. She has... Uh, couple of different writings out. Uh, she has a book out that's really fascinating and exploring race and the patriarchy and all sorts of cool stuff, um, as well as a nine-to-five job in, in all sorts of marketing specialties. She's coming to us today from the Bay Area. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. So, you have a really fascinating history, which is one of the reasons I reached out to have you on the show. you lived all over the world. Yes. And in doing that, how, what have you learned as you've moved around? Because it's not just multiple cities like a lot of our writers have. You're multiple countries in very different cultures. So what have you learned in those travels?
1: Well, I think what I've learned is, well, mostly about myself, my threshold, my acceptance, my my view of people. Um I, I think, you know, I grew up in India for a little bit, but I also grew up in the by my formative years were spent in the Middle East. Um typically in like uh, you know the Middle East, if you are familiar with the region, um it's immigrant heavy. The United Arab Emirates is about 70% Indians. Um, like we are the backbone of the infrastructure, the economy. Um, so I never really felt like I was in a foreign country until I actually moved back to India, to Bangalore, where I uh, was born. And I was having culture shock in my own country. And that was quite a surprise to me. I wasn't fitting in. I didn't speak the languages. I sounded different. I dressed different. And it was having to fit back in with my people and my culture. That was um, quite a surprise to me. And now that I live here in the Bay Area, I'm, I think, still learning who I am and where I fit in because I don't really fit in anywhere. And I think... That's what traveling is for me. You know, I go around, listen to different perspectives, hear stories, and it's the listening. It's it's where do I fit in in the grand scheme of things.
0: One of the things that, that other folks have mentioned as they've gone around and, and to different cultures is there's certain things that kind of are at the core of humanity. Do you find that, or do you find people are really different?
1: No, I think people are... Uh, At the core, very, very similar. We just have different ways of um, articulating that need. I think uh, at the end of the day, all people really want is to be happy, successful, have a family. Um, But we definitely go about it in very, very different ways.
0: (laughs) So it's interesting. You mentioned growing up in the UAE and around a large group of Indians, but not fitting back into the the culture in Bangalore. Mm-hmm. What were some of the differences that stood out to you? I think the Middle
1: East or the UAE in particular gets a bad rap for being sexist and patriarchal. And while some of it is accurate and and based in truth, my experience was actually quite different. Um I felt incredibly safe growing up in the Middle East. I never had to worry about what I was wearing, what time I was coming home, who I was with. And all of a sudden, I go back to India, and I'm highly aware that there are certain cases on me. The expectation is to be a little bit more conservative, to speak softer. Why do you have an opinion? (laughs) And I and I never felt that in the Middle East. I was very comfortable, you know, raising my hand, expressing an opinion, asking a question. And while that may be different for other people, it was not my experience. So uh, going back to India and having to conform to this expectation of a nice Indian girl was incredibly hard for me. Um, I, th- I think particularly because my interests were so varied. You know, I wanted to be a journalist while my peers wanted to study economics and get married. I did not, I wanted to travel and they weren't allowed to, you know, I spoke multiple languages and and they simply didn't. I, it, it was just challenging on so many different aspects. And I, and I look back and, you know, I, I was a dumb 21 year old kid. <laughs> I, I, I think I probably didn't handle some of those situations as well as I should have, but you know, say la V, that's how you learn. Is it?
0: <laughs> There's a big uh, Indian group in the Bay Area, right? Yes. Um, my sister, who works in marketing and such in the Bay Area, all of her friends now refer to an Indian accent as the Fremont accent. Because of such oh, really? a large <laughs> population. Have you found that group to be similar to either the folks you were around in Bangalore or more like UAE, or is it a completely different culture here?
1: Um, I feel like the Indian diaspora abroad tends to be a little bit more Open and accepting of people than we are at home, and we're also weirdly really more patriotic abroad than we are <laughs> at home. Um, I, I, I think our expectations for our country when abroad are much higher than we're than when you're, you know, um, in the country. But it's been wonderful. I, I I struggled in India, but I feel like the Indian community abroad is so much more welcoming and open, and they genuinely want to see each other succeed. and And it's been like a warm hug. I've found, for the first time in my life, a community that I can actually trust, rely on, ask for support. And, um, and I've never had that before. Uh, it, it's been wonderful. Even the, there's even a very thriving Indian writers community. It's you know a bunch of Desi girls who truly want to see each other succeed. And I'm so grateful for that.
0: So how did you go from, from marketing, like, you know, very kind of yeah, traditional, <laughs> and everything is, is supposed to, like, every little thing is messaged, right? When you're yes. in any type of marketing, there's so much about creating this brand and this mm-hmm. image into writing sci-fi where you could be so much more creative. What, what helped with that transition? Well, so my background is actually journalism. I was a
1: defense and aerospace journalist for about seven or eight years before I came over to this side. Uh, of the workforce, uh, which I call the dark side. Um, <laughs> and I, I think I just, I've always had a love for technology and innovation and particularly as a defense in aerospace journalist, because so much of it is forward-looking. We're often writing about technology that isn't even gonna be adopted or hit the market 20, 25 years from now, right? Um, the army, DARPA, they sent out RFPs and realistically, it takes decades for an aircraft to even like go through the testing and, uh, and be flight ready. So it's easy to imagine what that world would already look like. And I think it just was a natural segue into sci-fi because I, I did have that, you know, the background, the, the, the thinking of what what's the world going to look like a hundred years from now. Um, so I, I think, I think of it as just moving from
0: nonfiction to fiction. <laughs> you- Talk about it in it, it, its uh Corinth 2676. Am I right? 20. It's you know, I I
1: regret naming this book as I did because sometimes I I chook myself up too. Like, why why did I do that? I don't know. Uh, it's called Corinth 2640 to 80. But
0: you were close. <laughs> I, I remembered it was in the 27th century, century yeah. And then the, the last two, I believe. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting look at the way society is and not only is there the technology in there, which is in your background, but you talk a lot about how culture has evolved. And right. so do you want to talk a little bit about, for our readers who haven't read it yet or who are thinking about picking up kind of how you structured society in, in the future? So
1: in Corinth 2640 80, it is both a dystopian and a utopian world, um, depending on your view of it. So it's essentially a murder mystery that's also tackling race as a concept. In Corinth, It's a city outside of um, Oregon is a colony, you know, a group of white people who are just holding on to the old ways. Essentially, think of it as a KKK, if you will. And well, so the background is that my husband and I are an interracial couple. He is German, he is white, and I'm from India. And when I first moved here, I was experiencing... Racism, not for the first time, but I, I think it was the first time that I was acutely aware of it happening mm. and realizing that this is not right, it's inappropriate, and also just frustration with myself for not being able to express how I'm feeling and calling people out because it happens. And then, like, two days pass, and I'm realizing, oh, wait a second, that wasn't right. And it's like, do I go back and tell them? I don't know. But it was just a time of deep frustration. And I was thinking, well, is it always going to be this way? Like. Are people of color always going to be experiencing these things, and it's always going to be this landmine of emotions? And I, I think, being the idealist that I am, I was I thought, no, that just can't be. I don't see it happening in the next hundred years, even. But five, six hundred years from now, I should hope so. I, I, I truly do. And in this society, I imagine that people are not going to identify by any race or color they're just going to be people they're going to be americans they're going to be indians whatever and it's because i imagine the world is going to be so diverse like you know globalization war the pandemic it's it's forcing people to travel around the world and you meet different people you get married and those kids have other kids and it's a multi-ethnic multicultural world and i'm not saying that it's um everyone is still treated equally, that there's no sexism. I imagine that there's still going to be some, you know, uh, diversity issues to still tackle, but it may not be as painful or as widespread as it is um, in this moment. But I also think that in this ideal world, um, there are going to be groups of people who hold on to their ideals of being pure-blooded, of holding on to tradition. and, um, And it's that group that we explore in in Quorum 26 to 80 from the lens of a brown man who has never met a white
0: person before one of the things that struck me is you you base this white supremacist colony in oregon was yeah. there and, and oregon has a very mixed reputation around yes. race was there a reason that drove you to set it there so I just want to say it right up front. I love Oregon.
1: <laughs> we we go camping there quite often. I love Portland and, uh, you know, any chance to be there. And with all due respect to Oregonians, yes, they do have a history of racial violence and profiling. And it was a combination of that, but also just, I think the, the city that I envision being in the mountains by nature. And when I think of beauty in nature I I think my first thought is Oregon even though California has a lot of beautiful mountains and lakes it was I just pictured Oregon for for all those reasons
0: (laughs) you bring up you mentioned coming to the states was one of the first times you really were very conscious of racism and there's there's a couple of different lines of conversations that go on. People who don't live in California, especially the Bay Area, tend to think of this as like this liberal utopia where we've addressed all of this and everybody's happy. Uh, In the tech sector specifically, though, there's also a lot of talk of racism. How is it still coming up? In the workplace,
1: particularly in the beginning, it was, I think, very subtle. Um, A lot of it was... You know, I would often tell people, I'm from Bangalore, and they would say, oh, yeah, I've I've been there. Um, and I would follow up with, well, how did you like it? And they would say, oh, I was really surprised by all the coffee shops and the bars. And I was like, why? <laughs> you know, I, just why? Of course, India is one of the largest importers of tea and coffee. It makes sense, right? I mean, we drink beer. It was uh, that sort of unconscious bias. And then it was um, someone asking me in a very social environment with other people around, well, do Indians need to wear sunscreen? And I was like, Yes, yes, of course we do. Like, you know, I I don't know what you mean by that. And um, it it was little things like that that kept coming up for me. Um, And very, very recently, someone said to me um, that Indian food looks like poop and in in the most um, easygoing, nonchalant way. And I was like, no, how dare you? You know, Um, and it's things like that um, that people feel so confident and comfortable to say that to my face and not expect any sort of reaction one way or another, it was, was shocking. You know, um, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I think I'm still in shock because I, I can't believe that that happens. Of course, I've experienced racism now that I think about it um, in India as well, right? Um, colorism is still a huge systematic problem. If you're fair skin, you're more likely to get better jobs, a better husband, um, just better things. Whereas if you're dark-skinned, you're relegated to uh, low-income tasks, which is ridiculous because w- what does that have to do with anything? Um, yeah, but that was really the first time that I was noticing it. And I think it was because it was coming from white people versus from other people of color. And you kind of, yeah, don't expect that, I
0: guess. How much of the, the colorism and the bias, since there is such a large Indian community here in the States, especially in the Bay Area, how much of that bias that you experienced at home around colorism and stuff has been imported here, and do you still experience it amongst other other immigrants here, or does that kind of dissipate when you move? I think in my
1: experience, it seems to not be a huge deal here, um, but also most of these people grew up in this country um they're second generation americans they're immigrants and maybe the expectation is different i don't know but um so far i i haven't really uh, noticed that so much There's, there's no expectation to be like you know stay out of the sun don't go hiking you know Put, 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 put on all your clothes and your hats i which was very much a thing at home like my mom would always tell me no you can't play in the sun you're gonna get dark no one's gonna want to marry you and <laughs> um
0: yeah oh, that's so antithetical to to what you put out is you love hiking you'd love being outdoors and
1: right i mean of course i don't want to get cancer and i'll <laughs> put on sunscreen but I mean and I'm still going to go do the things that I love. I mean, am I going to surf now cuz I don't know how to swim? But in theory, yes. <laughs> so
0: the other th- one of the other things you tackle both in your novel and in some of your other writing is the sexism that you've encountered. Um right. And how is that still pl- like it it boggles my mind that we can be this far in and have women in in all sorts of positions and they're still so much of that how is that playing out for you are you see, are you still experiencing a lot of that in the workplace or
1: you know not so much at the workplace i think i've been very lucky to find myself jobs in very open-minded companies that are committed to diversity to inclusion and equity uh, at least particularly where i work right now it's it's a huge factor in who we are as a company culture is important and we are as an organization committed to empowering uh, people from low-income communities, from other religions, and so on and so forth. Um, at work, not so much. On the personal front, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm struggling to draw um, examples, but it's more of a feeling, I think, mm-hmm. as because those experiences are universal, right? Like, what woman hasn't experienced it? Um, yeah. But I think it's just the feeling of, worth of not being enough like why are you comparing me to a man yeah but i have actually sorry i don't mean to interrupt um i have worked um at a newspaper when i first started my career and i was paid significantly less than my male peers who this guy did not speak english okay he could not write he was a good reporter. i'll give him that but you know we had complementing skills and yet he was paid so much more than i was and i was told point blank it was because i was a woman oh you don't need that much money why why not my bills are the same you know he lives with his friends i live alone in fact i probably need more money
0: exactly well and things like women's
1: clothing and such costs more it's more right like why is my razor blade more expensive than my husband's huh what is that about
0: yeah, it's, it's insane to me. <laughs> um, so, you're in an interracial relationship. Yes. Um, you're married to a, a German guy. That can always be challenging. Do you guys actually talk about race and sexism and stuff, or is it just you guys are a couple and it doesn't matter?
1: Oh, no, no, no. We we talk about it a lot. Oh, no. We dive it like, we do deep dives into that shit, <laughs> let me tell you. No, I think particularly where it pops up is um, interactions with his friends that I found, mm-hmm. you know, borderline inappropriate that were not okay or things that are upsetting me. And I think for the most part, yes, he does understand, but he, he does. He truly though. I mean, I know he means well and he wants to support me. and He loves me, but I think you cannot ever really know what it feels like. And, and it's hard to explain that to him. And, and I think he feels outrage on my behalf. And and that's lovely, but he doesn't understand. And that's okay, too. It's fine. It's we, we have different perceptions of the world, and the world perceives us differently, right? And and that's okay, but we do talk about it a lot. And it is important to me that he sees it from my perspective, because he works with a lot of women of color. Mm. Right? He has other indian women who work for him uh, um um, black women who work for him and i want him to build on my experience and make it easier for other people because he is in a power to do so and i and i want to make sure that he he has the knowledge the understanding and the empathy to to deal with those situations Um, because gosh i hope that it's the same for me somewhere else you know
0: one of the things I've, I'm in an interracial relationship as well, my partner's black, and one of the things I notice is we're received differently when we go out in public spaces. How are you yeah. how are the two of you received?
1: Uh, I'll tell you uh, for the most part, okay. Um, sometimes my husband gets asked if he's rich. Uh, no, he is not. <laughs> I did not marry for money, though I wish I had sometimes. <laughs> Well, often um, it's questions like that to him, um, but other times we'll be at the store, you know, the jewelry store, whatever. And, um, you know, they'll come up to him, address him first and they say, who is this? Your friend? Sure. Friends that share a house, a mortgage, a dog. Sure. (laughs) I I think people have a hard time wrapping their heads around an interracial relationship. Like, why aren't you with someone who looks like you? How, How does this work? What do you have in common? And of course, no one is ever has ever blatantly asked us that, but you can you can see it in their eyes, you know, they're working doing the math. Like, hmm, is he rich? She like couldn't bear, like what's
0: happening? <laughs> it's it's crazy how other people's projections of, and their values get projected onto an interracial couple. You can
1: Yeah, but what has your experience been? Like, uh, I'm I'm curious to understand, especially as a, a white woman with a black man.
0: A lot of what I get is uh, from other black women of why are you taking one of our men? Ooh. And you know, because he's, he's successful. He owns his own business. He's a veteran. He's a good dad. And it's like, well, you got one of the good ones. <laughs> and uh, was, but
1: and um, how do you respond though to, to those questions? I mean, that's a hard one.
0: It is, uh, you know, for us, it's, it's been a lot of, you know, kind of trying to understand the perspective we're coming from. I am, all of his extended family um have married other black people. I am like the only white person that shows up on family calls and stuff. And it took a while to to kind of for them to realize, okay, we can have these conversations and we we talk extensively about race and politics and all of that, because it is a different way to move through the world. Um right. yeah. you know. Uh, and then, you know, a lot of black guys go look at him, oh, you got a white woman, good for you. And it's like <laughs> I'm not a trophy, trust me. I'm right. No trophy here, right? Which yeah. but it's just weird. And the other thing we get is people comment on our sex lives a lot, even though we don't talk about it. Like we've gone in to events, like we went into a one poetry event, and the host saws come in and he started going off on how it must be like Godzilla and Mothra having sex. And what? it's just bizarre to me that people are Wait, and those were the life.
1: examples that he came up with, yes. Godzilla?
0: Because and... we, we, we're both tall. We're both over six feet tall, but it was like an huh. extended. And it's not the first time it happened. Like the fact that other people worry about my sex life with my partner huh. is weird. That's so bizarre. That's incredibly bizarre. I
1: mean, yeah. I would be incandescent if someone said that to me, honestly.
0: <laughs> so I don't spend that much time thinking about how other people are as a couple.
1: Right. No, neither do I. No, that's interesting. No, we've never had that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think part of it too is, um, you know, just he and I are both very tall. We're larger people and <coughs> it, it draws attention. But yeah. yeah, no, people are strained with interracial couples. It's, I feel like I'm a Rorschach text when I go out and it's they see us and then what it's whatever they see is based on what's going on internally, not. Oh, that's such a good analogy.
1: That is such a great analogy. Yep, I I, I know exactly what you mean.
0: Yeah, yeah. But yeah, and there is a lot of talking because I will never know what it's like to move through the world as a black man. Like, I do know when he goes out to work a gig at night or whatever. I I don't sleep till he comes home because I'm always afraid he's going to get pulled over. There's going to be a, for me it's the fear of interacting with police because we're in a very right. conservative part of California and. You know, I don't want him getting pulled over at eleven o'clock at night with a car full of stereo equipment because he's a right. DJ.
1: Right, and they're probably thinking, "Yeah, did he steal it? Where'd you get it from? Do you have the receipts?" Yeah, so inappropriate.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's very different to move through the world when you're white. Like mm-hmm. I have a lot less friction than he does, and I know that.
1: Right. No, uh, I, and I bet even um, moving to the world as as a brown person versus a black one is is probably incredibly different, especially here in the U.S. I think, um, yeah, no, I, I, I feel for him and, and also feel, I mean, I, I get it.
0: Yeah. I am sure you experience some of the same stuff as people are making huge numbers of assumptions about you and about you and your, your husband and stuff that.
1: Oh no. I mean, one of the reasons that we actually recently moved is because, um, at our old place, which is not very far from here, um, it was early in the pandemic. I was living in PJs and i was accosted by a woman in our parking lot and she accused me of coming in here and checking out what sort of cars we have and i was thinking my god i drive two of the most expensive cars here and this woman thinks i'm like a thief kissing the joint like does she not see me here with my doodle <laughs> so like you know i was just the most and she screamed at me and she said i'm gonna call the cops on you and i was like please go ahead and this was a woman who did not even live in my complex, um, but took it upon herself to to police the neighborhood and make sure that people like me weren't, you know, um, well, kissing the joint, essentially.
0: <laughs> That's so horrible. Like, and it's so bizarre to me because I grew up, I went to high school and stuff in San Jose. Like, white people are way outnumbered. Like, you just assumed everybody belonged because right, visually and- there wasn't a,
1: yeah yeah no and this woman was a uh, white presenting um mm-hmm. and when I called her out on her Karenisms <laughs> she she said how dare you I'm half Mexican and I was like you know like everyone like everyone can be racist like you don't have to be white to be racist like that's not how this works um and of course she wasn't getting it and but it was just that experience just put such a sour taste in my mouth. Like this is where I live. This is where I've lived for the last four years and I love this place, but it just didn't feel comfortable anymore. You know, like I don't want to be worrying when I'm walking my dog in our parking lot, two feet away from my car right. and, and someone's screaming at me. So we were like, we're going to move.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so horrible. I'm so sorry about that. I,
1: Thank you. I mean, yeah. but it is, it is common though, right? It's not a unique yeah. story. It's, yeah. By no means unique. Um, it, yeah, sadly.
0: Yeah, you mentioned earlier that you're with a group of other Desi writers uh, yes. and sci-fi writers. How did you find them, and what's it like to work with a with a group all working in the same genre with you know similar backgrounds? In a word, wonderful. I've I, I don't know why I was so afraid
1: to find community before. I was I was terrified uh, to put myself out there to open and trust people, but. It's been great. It's been great to to have people who understand what it's like to be brown, um, to have those experiences. The the inside jokes about partition or uh, about Indian culture, and we talk about food a lot. Of course, we talk about food a lot. <laughs> but it's it is primarily women. We do have some men as well, but it just feels like sisterhood. Um, you know, we're able to bounce ideas off of each other, get feedback. I think oftentimes we experience something and many of us are wondering, am I overreacting? Is that inappropriate? Should I have said something? And it's great to have people you can bounce that off of and to be validated and to hear, no, that wasn't okay. And here's an idea of how to approach it next time. Or if you still want to go back and say something, Um, it's, it's been, it's been a lovely experience. i I've never felt uh, so connected before, I guess.
0: That's amazing. So you're working with with other sci-fi writers. you read it, you write in technology. What's missing from the genre? What do we need more of in sci-fi that's not there <laughs> right now?
1: Oh, that's an easy one. It's diversity. You know, I think there is a push right now in publishing too to get more diverse writers on board to have more stories about um you know low income communities or and and not just about our struggles you know i think a lot of times uh, people of color writers of color are are expected to write about their struggles about you know what it's like to be poor and black in america or poor and indian <laughs> mm-hmm. um and we don't really get to write a lot of irreverent joyful just utterly fun mindless things and and I would love to see more of that. I want to see stories about, yeah, I don't know, like aliens invading New Delhi or something, you know, just something bizarre. I I, I don't want to hear about, you know, partition anymore about colonialism and the British invasion. Like it's it's been said and done. And yes, it was horrible, but I want to read joyful stories. I want to read about, you know, completely crazy, I don't know, superheroes in India or in the US. I mean, um, Marvel's, um, gosh, what was the the show called? Um, Miss Marvel. Yes. Yes. Which I thought was a wonderful experience of of that. Um, It was about a family, a Pakistani family living here in the US and was navigating the expectations of this, you know, typical, very, you know traditional family but also life in America and was it was just fun and sweet and and that's what's missing and that's what I want to see more of so what's your next project so um, I have two projects um my my second book is I hope I will have some good news soon it is um set in an alternate Arabia it's essentially a love letter to my time in Dubai it's Mm -hmm. drawing on a lesson on stories from a thousand and one nights And mixing a little bit of Middle Eastern mythology to tell a a fun YA fantasy adventure story. And the second one is a little bit more adult. It's, um, you know what? I think I'm going to keep that one um, to myself just for the moment. (laughs) But it has magic in it. And it's set in San Francisco.
0: That's all I'll say. That sounds fun. I'm still stuck on on aliens invading New Delhi. I just (laughs) see so many options with that. that. That's such a great premise. Yes, because I wonder
1: why are they always attacking New York, huh? What is it? Is it the pizza? I don't know.
0: <laughs> I, I, they must be reading the same magazines they gave me as a kid. Like that's supposed to be the beacon as New York. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's 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 great. You've done something too that a lot of writers fantasize about. Is you finally have representation? Oh gosh, yes. The long so congratulations. Road. Thank you. How, how did you land that? Because I have had so many writers on who. That's a big goal and they haven't reached it yet.
1: Right. Uh with great difficulty. I did not have representation for my first book. Um, but I do now. So we connected through API Pit, which is Asian Pacific Islander, um, a pitch event on Twitter that happens, I want to say annually. And you know, you know, it's one of those things I wasn't planning on doing it. And then my writers community was like, Oh yeah, we're gonna do it. Who wants to look at pitches? Who needs help? I'll support you. And I was like, hmm. You know, okay, I'm just gonna try, see what happens. And I did. I scheduled my tweets. I went to work and I forgot all about it. And I come back and I see that there's an agent, well, there were a couple of agents who liked it. And I pitched them all. And one of them, my agent, um, Ismita Hussain, uh, she was like lightning fast. uh, If you wanna see the full pages, and it went very, very quickly from there. And the reason I signed with her was, first of all, her understanding of the culture, the nuances. Um, the depth of her her feedback. I had a one hour call with her. And she basically told me all the things that struck her and areas for improvement. And I was just sitting there totally flabbergasted. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, I never thought about this stuff. And yeah.
0: That's amazing. And congratulations. That's such a huge step. Do you see a point in time where the nine to five goes away and becomes writing full time for you? Is that a goal? Or is this still going to be hiking and writing for fun?
1: I'm I'm not sure. I think at this point in my life, no. I, I do really enjoy my nine to five and, and I think as an immigrant there's a lot of pressure to to succeed and be successful and, and just do more than you're capable of. And I and I do feel that push like I didn't come to America to just do one thing, right? I I wanna push myself. This is the American dream. So not in the near future. I like I would have to be ultra successful, which I think is a long shot because that happens to the one percent. Um, of course that would be lovely, but no, I'm at this point very comfortable having two jobs. You know, I'm growing from both.
0: Yeah. No, I i, I understand that. Um I'm at an age where two jobs now feels exhausting, but I- <laughs>
1: No, it is, it is exhausting. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, exhaustion is, is my constant companion. Um, You ask me how I'm doing. I'm like, oh, everything hurts. <laughs> but also I tell myself, you know, dreams don't work unless you do. And mm-hmm. I, I don't want to look back 10, 15, 20 years from now and say, oh my gosh, why didn't I work harder? Like, why didn't I do that thing? And I just don't want to have regrets because I do have them when I look back at my early 20s. And I don't think i Push myself enough. So
0: now I'm making up the last time. <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense. So if our readers want to find your work, if they want to connect with you, if they want to follow you for your next book coming out, where do they go?
1: So you can find me on social media. It's at Bindia schaefer everywhere. That's B I N D I Y A S C H A E F E R. It's, I know, a mouthful, but that's where I am all over the place. My website is also Um yeah,
0: message me. Thank you so much for being on our show. For our listeners, thank we'll you have for all having links up Yeah, we'll have all the links up in the show notes, as well as the link to to your book. And thank you again. Thank you so much. And now. A moment of gratitude.
1: Uh, I think my family, my little family, my husband, our dog. Um, it's been a challenging couple of years for most people. Um, I have felt it myself. And I, I love having the support system. I love having friends who I think genuinely care about my mental health and well-being, who check in routinely, ask how I'm doing, if I need help. Um, I've never had that before. Um, and i'm I'm really grateful for the support that I have from this little community yeah, that's what I'm grateful for <laughs>
0: Of the world. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fat Chicks on Top. Please like, subscribe, and review our podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. If we like your review, we may even read it online. This has been an Auntie Vice production. Producer and host, Rebecca Blanton. Audio production by Sharon Smith, music by David Manga, and more music by Sharon Smith. For more information about Fat Chicks on Top, please visit our website for all things Fat Chicks at FatChicksOnTop.com.